Today we get to take a look at some of the great spy stories that got our Bible to us. We, we love lists. We make top 10 quarterback lists, top 5 heartthrob lists, and top 100 women of power, top 20 grossing Hollywood films. So it's only natural that we try to find the top guy responsible for the Protestant Reformation and the, the breaking of the social order imposed by Rome for 1,300 years. And Martin Luther is usually the name that we come up with. And we, there is no doubt that he's, he's at least in the top three. Maybe he is number one. Still, he didn't come onto the field unprepared. The ground had already been plowed by Wycliffe and then Huss and then their followers. The Lollards had been working underground mainly, although about five a year were burned and 500 to 100, uh, I'm sorry, 50 to 100 a year were imprisoned or forced to recant all through this time. Most of the time, for 100 years, the Lollards were underground. And there was another man we need to talk about before we can talk about Luther. And his name is William Tyndale. Now, Tyndale, see, do you have slides for this? I did send those in to Catherine. Hmm. Okay, they're on my, I'm sorry, you're not going to have the slides then. Um, I'm not sure why those did not get through. I'll, I'll try to paint pictures with my mellifluous voice. Tyndale uh, was born outside of Bristol in 1494. We don't know anything about his early life, but he must have been exceptionally brilliant because he won a place at Oxford University when he was 11 years old. Think of that. Ten years later, he has a master's degree from Oxford. To get a master's degree, by the way, back at that time, you had to have mastered the disciplines, the seven liberal arts, grammar, rhetoric, logic, music, arithmetic, geometry, and astronomy. I find it interesting that liberal arts back then included things like mathematics and astronomy and geometry, whereas today that's moved into a different school. He would have also then, once he did those seven liberal arts, had to have shown mastery of the three philosophies, natural, moral, and metaphysical. If you don't know how this works, in Britain to this day, when you come in to sit an exam, you're not handed a multiple choice or even the standard essay thing. You, um, you come into a large hall in the major universities and you sit at a table and they give you a blue book. The blue book is, has a blue cover, but everything else in it is just lined paper. And there are a couple of pencils there for you. And you will be given, everybody around is given different questions. You've studied all of this. You might get one question. You've got to fill up the book. You don't know which discipline, which liberal art. You don't know what aspect of your, your study you're going to get. It is randomized. Uh, by and large, I believe that's true everywhere. It's randomized, so the teacher doesn't even, it's just, it comes to you, you open your envelope, and now we begin. And you write all day, <laughs> or as long as they give you, and then when it's done, it is pass or fail. Uh, it's it's kind of tough. Kind of like uh, driving license tests in Breton are much, much tougher. Last about an hour, and you are doing uh, slides, reverses around corners, you're doing emergency maneuvers, and uh, most people t require three attempts to pass. 
The Sandlins were very excited because uh, their daughter got married this week and both the daughter, I believe they said the daughter and the son-in-law both passed the bar uh, this week. And I thought, that's brilliant because in my family, nobody in history has ever passed a bar. But they meant something else. Um, <laughs> anyway, William Tyndale was an exceptionally brilliant young man. And sometime during his years at Oxford, he came under the influence of the Lollards and their underground society called the Secret Society. We know that he left Oxford suddenly at the very same time that Cardinal Wolseley started a witch hunt to find the Lollards. Anybody who had anything to do with Wycliffe or Huss, anybody who would ever translate scripture into English had to be caught. And Cardinal Wolseley launched an 18-month witch hunt on the grounds of Oxford Tyndale left. This is 15, 16, 15, 17. How harsh was the Inquisition that Wolseley brought to England? I'm glad you're sitting down. In 1517, in Coventry, for one example, five men and two women were burned to death for the crime of teaching their children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English. We can multiply this by hundreds, the examples, by the way. Five men and two women burned publicly to death because they taught their children the Lord's Prayer and Ten Commandments in English. Tyndale next shows up in history at the more liberal Cambridge University. In fact, the first mention of him, speaking of bars, is in a pub. A pub frequented by others who shared the dangerous ideas of Wycliffe and Huss and Colette. The bar is still there. It's called the White Horse Inn. At the time, of course, it wasn't the White Horse Inn. Now, you know, um, sheltering rebels. It was like most bars at the time, most pubs, very private, very neighborhood. Only the people really went there, the regulars, they're called. Uh, and so um, it was a safer place to go and sit and speak of these things. Only 25 men ever became members of the White Horse Inn Club, and almost all of them would be martyred for their faith. Locals called the pub Little Germany because its most loyal customers were followers of John Huss and the movement that had taken over Bohemia. Yes, Bohemia is in the Czech Republic. You need to remember that Germany was not so much a nation as a concept at this time. Many lords, knights, and Teutonic knights and such, and princes over a German republic that took a large section of Europe, a very large section of Europe at the time, but was not united in the sense that it is today. Cambridge was not safe for long. The Inquisition arrived in 1521. Tyndale was then about 30 years old, and he knew it was time to get out of Dodge. So he went to Gloucestershire, Again, I have lovely pictures for all of this. His native county and found work as a tutor for a rich man's children. This, by the way, was a very common place for scholars. They would attach themselves to a rich man's family. They would teach the children uh, private tutoring. And they would be looked upon as a member of the family during this time. This also gave him time to do what he really wanted to do secretly to take the Greek text of the New Testament as compiled by Erasmus. Do you remember Erasmus? 
It was a much superior text to the one used for the Vulgate. Much better. His idea was to take it and translate it into English. Even further, he wanted to translate it into a form of English that was understandable by all English speakers. We brought this up the last two weeks. It really must be stated again. English at this time, the early 1500s, was so non-standard that something written in Gloucestershire, you couldn't go down the road to Staffordshire and have somebody read it because the words were different and the spelling was different and the lingo was different. He wanted to standardize English, to bring expressions that would be understood by everybody, figures of speech. Uh, We'll talk more about that in two weeks. Uh, What he really accomplished was mind-blowing. But he's doing this all in secret. Well, Tyndale was a scholar in eight languages by the time he was 30. So fluent, in fact, that one contemporary said he could speak each language with the accent and fluency of a native. Now, that's doing something. It's hard to do. Uh, I like languages, but I've never been able to speak any of them in a native uh, language. I have a friend of mine who is an elder of ours up in Rochester, Michigan. Um, I'm sure you remember Gary Carson. And Gary used to live down in El Paso, and he had a lot of Mexican men that worked for him. And he would try to speak to them in Mexican, thinking that that was um, respectful. And he worked hard on it until the, a little committee of his men came to him one day and said, uh, Mr. Carson, Senor Efe, um, could you speak to us in English? And he was looking, he said, um, do, you, do you need to practice your English? And they said no, and they talked among themselves for a while, and he looked back and they said, your Spanish hurts our ears. Well, Tyndale did not have that problem. What drove him, oh, by the way, his languages are Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Italian, English, German, French, and Spanish, eight languages. What drove him to undertake this translation was dinner. Here's where it gets interesting. The rich man Tyndale was working for was Sir John Walsh, a very well-known knight who came from a family of well-known knights. He was a powerful man with great influence in the area, and he would bring high-ranking Catholic clergy, there were no other clergy, high-ranking Catholic clergy for dinners. And he would engage them in discussion about scripture and theology. Tyndale, as a tutor for the children and as a scholar, was expected to attend the dinners. And he found himself consistently appalled at the ignorance of the priests and bishops when it came to scripture and theology. They knew nothing. They sat there with their great riches, the the richest and most powerful men in Britain, and didn't know their scripture because they had never read it. Some of them couldn't read. They didn't know theology. Sir John noticed Tyndale's discomfiture and liked to stir things up. It was, you didn't get cable, so this was entertainment. So he would get Tyndale to comment on what the clergymen were saying just to stir the pot and get tempers riled up. Sir John's wife did not like this. Uh, she, she was afraid this little game would bring the wrath of the church down on their home. The Inquisition could show up. They could lose their land. They could lose their home. They could lose their titles. And she warned Tyndale, you are a mere tutor. 
You have no right to correct men of God placed in their positions by Mother Church. Well, Tyndale knew she had a point. No one was interested in what he was saying because he was, as he had been reminded, a mere tutor. However, they might be interested in knowing what the great scholar Erasmus might say. Erasmus, even by the Catholic Church, he's considered a doctor of the Catholic Church, was considered the greatest scholar of the age, and his Greek New Testament had recently been printed. So Tyndale decided to show his employers that he was more than a mere tutor, so he translated Erasmus's book, The Manual of a Christian Knight. And the politics of this are interesting. From Greek to English, and had it printed, we still have copies of this, and presented it to Sir John Walsh and his wife. The book is a treatise by Erasmus. Oh, someone's shown up now. Thank you, guys. Um, it's a treatise by Erasmus on the wrongs of the church, its excesses, and of the need to return to Scripture for our authority in all things. Wow. Drop mic. They didn't have a mic, but if they had, they would have dropped it. Now, I want you to think about what this is. And again, we're not political, but I'm just going to use a political illustration. Last week, the Democrats loved Director Comey because he had dropped a case, or so it seemed. They wrote glowing things about how wonderful he was. This week, they're not writing those because now it, they're not on the same page. Erasmus, Catholic Church loved Erasmus, but they'd never read him. Oh, he's the greatest scholar in the world. So now Tyndale takes his words and hands them right back to the Catholic Church. The Christian knight will stand against the excesses of the Catholic Church because we will be moral. We will not enrich ourselves at the sake of the poor and on and on. Oh, boy. And this is also a open eyes moment for Sir John Walsh and his wife, for the Lady, uh, Lady Walsh, because they realized Tyndale was a lot smarter than they realized. They immediately stopped inviting clergy to their home. They didn't want to get him in trouble. And they encouraged him. They gave him more time. Explore this. Keep writing. Keep translating. And that's going to lead to great trouble for them and for Tyndale. Sure enough, Months down the road, the clergy gets very angry. He made them look stupid. They were. But he also stopped their fancy meals with Sir John Walsh. They were not happy. So they summoned Tyndale to appear before them, where Tyndale reported, quote, they reviled me like a dog. The only thing that saved his life was, uh, was the fact that Sir John Walsh liked him. And if they messed with him, he was a powerful, powerful knight in Gloucestershire. They couldn't dismantle Tyndale's defense because he was smarter than they were. Every time they tried to bring anything against him, he could quote scripture against them. So they were, it was kind of a checkmate at the time. Tyndale had hoped, perhaps naively, that some of the clergy would be interested in coming alongside him and reforming the church. Please understand, Tyndale was not anti-Catholic. To him, like everybody else at the time, there was only one church. It is the Catholic Church. We need to reform our church. All right? Please understand this. 
He wasn't trying to bring it down. He was trying to reform it and save it. But soon he began to realize that nobody's interested. The clergy are not interested. Because if it's reformed, they'll lose their power. This happens a lot in politics. Think of when Jesus was on trial. And the high priest looks at him and says, Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, That's what you've said. Do you remember a soldier then strikes him and says, How dare you answer the high priest so? What did Jesus mean by saying, That's what you've said? In private, they knew he was the Messiah. But they thought if they killed him, they'd get to keep their power and God would forgive them anyway. Do you remember the parable of the wicked husbandman? As it said in um, the uh, King James, where a guy owns a field, sends somebody to go collect the rent, and they kill the guy they send. So he sends another and they kill him because their idea is we'll get to keep the field. So he says, I'll send my son. They have to respect him. And they said, if we kill the son, we'll get to keep the field. Do you remember that parable? They knew it was Jesus. They knew who he was. They believed, however, if he wins, we lose our power and money. Therefore, they were willing to kill him. That's not unusual among politicians, whether they kill you physically or your reputation. The church realized we got to do something with this guy because if he wins, we lose our riches and power. Had Jesus didn't enter the equation. Right and wrong didn't even enter the equation. They also knew that if the scripture was known by the people, the people would rise up and they would strip the church leaders of their power. So, Tyndale decided, let's get that started. It's time that they had the Bible in their own language. His aim was a reform from the bottom up. By, the time, by this time, he was a marked man. He was watched carefully. He could not buy paper because they'd be watching him. He could not buy ink. They'd be watching him, reporting He tried to keep quiet when they kept pressuring him and yelling at him in the street, but he was driven out finally to speak when one arrogant priest said, quote, we are better to be without God's laws than the Pope. Tyndale cried out. There's not a whole lot that you can read there, but I defy the Pope and his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. It's one of the most famous sentences in the English language. The die was cast. Tyndale was going to have to move quickly if he was going to survive. He had heard a rumor that the Bishop of London would be sympathetic to his dream of translating the Bible into English. Do you remember last week we talked about the city of London is different than London? and that's a walled enclosure, has a different government, uh, even to this day. Well, he went to London, to the bishop. However, when he witnessed church politics firsthand, it turned his stomach. Specifically, he witnessed Cardinal Wolseley, the same one who brought the Inquisition to Oxford, pulling strings to benefit Henry VIII, who was an immoral, murdering And most of the other words, I'd like to use a cat because I'm a minister. But if you'd like to fill them in and don't know any, go to a golf course, you'll hear them. I remember once 
I had three putts in a row lip out, and I was playing with non-Christians, and it got really quiet. I looked at one of them, and I said, if any of you have any appropriate words you'd like to share, I'll let you do so at this moment. They didn't. Um, Tyndale was shocked at how entwined the church was with every decision made in the political realm. And again, if you've read The Three Musketeers, if you've read any of Alexandre Dumas, you know how entwined they were. Tyndale started calling Cardinal Wolsey Cardinal Wolfsey in his personal correspondence. We still have some of those letters. He was a wolf. He was not a prince of the church. It was time to go underground. So he contacted the secret society. At secret society meetings, he was able to examine Martin Luther's translation of the New Testament in German. And here's where I need to tell you that we're being very, uh, what would be the word? Nativistic. Um, we're being very English-centered here. Think of the King James Bible and how much of an impact that's had in the world. It's huge. Arguably, Martin Luther's translation into the German had a greater impact. But because we're not German and we look west rather than Central Europe and east, we don't really see that. But just be aware, that was an atomic bomb that had gone off in the middle of Europe. So they were able to read his New Testament and discuss his teachings with others. Please remember, Luther also was not anti-Catholic. When Luther died, he was still a Catholic priest. And he, even though the church didn't agree with it, he did. He was buried in his priestly robes. And he had asked his people, never separate from the church. Never call yourself Lutheran. And of course they did, but understand, they, they, they weren't anti-Catholic. Well, Tyndale and the secret society said, we've got to bring the English people the same freedom, the same information that the Germanic peoples have. Enter a rich and powerful merchant whose picture I could not find, not even a painting. Uh, Humphrey Monmouth. He was a member of the society. Of course, it's all secret. And he warned Tyndale, I have found the church has sent spies to track you down and kill you in the streets. England is not safe anymore. You have to run. But where? The continent, European continent, was a war zone. The Teutonic Knights of Germany were fighting each other. The Ottomans, the Muslims, were coming in from the south. It was, the Spanish were against the French, who were against, it. it was a war zone. And the Inquisition, at that point, had already burned to death on the continent 31,912 people. And they'd imprisoned at least that many. Tyndale decided, I gotta go to the continent, but there's only one place to go. I gotta get near Luther. I gotta get to Germany. So he left for Hamburg in May of 1524, and he would never again return to England. Monmouth, the, the rich merchant, and the Lollards, the secret society, arranged financial support for him along the way. You really just need to go get a biography of William Tyndale because this is spy work back in the days with no phones, no system. I, you will see a man wearing a feather on this side with a limp on this side. When you come up to him, you will say this. He will respond this. If that's true, then you can go down this alley. 
And you go down this alley, there will be a window, and in that window will be a certain lace curtain pulled back three quarters of the way. There is something on the shelf there, on the third brick, reach through, keep walking. It was like this. For him to travel with money and communication and also be able to pass messages back from Germany to England, this was necessary because the inquisitors were everywhere. They were in the streets looking for people. They, any stranger was immediately picked out and followed. It was also necessary because the inquisitors would just go grab people's letters and they would just go through them and decide which one of these people needed to be tracked down and killed. So you couldn't post something. You couldn't send somebody with paper unless they had a real elaborate way to get the paper somewhere else. Tyndale quietly arranged a meeting with Luther. This was seven years after Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, the Wittenberg door, uh, the, um, the church there. It was four years after he'd been excommunicated by the Pope. Luther had taken that order of excommunication that declared him an enemy of the church and publicly burned it December 10th, 1520. It was one year after that that he stated, uh, do we have 13? Are you guys on 13 as well? Um, there we go. Where he stated, here I stand. I can do no, I can, cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. It's a council in the city of Worms. But Worms looks like worms to the English. And the councils were called diet. I thought, when I was a kid, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. They went to the diet of worms. But it means the council in the city of worms. Unless I am convinced by proofs from scripture or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. These were brave men. And the women who supported them were brave. Luther eventually married a nun. And she was um, in danger as well. All right. Powerful lords of Germany were in constant conflict, but the ones around Luther protected him. And there were only New Testaments in German. Oh, I'm sorry, only there were the New Testaments in German, the common language allowed to circulate. So it wasn't all over Germany, just around these nights in their territory could the Bible circulate or the New Testament. The German knights and lords had officially stripped the Inquisition of their power in those territories. The German king wasn't happy with this, Charles V. But he was a supporter of the Pope, but he dared not risk civil war by overruling his princes. You might wonder, well, you're, you're a king, they're a prince, go for them. Kings get their monies from princes. Princes get their monies from the common laborers. What happens if the princes don't send their taxes? Then you can't wage a war. Um, it's this politics. is kind of interesting stuff. When I say interesting, I think of raw open sewage pits, but it's um, interesting stuff. Spies were still everywhere. They're still in the territory watching for any attempt to print the Bible in English. They often, and again, you can read the books, resorted to knife attacks in the middle of the night, stabbing people to death to make sure it didn't happen. They were the Sicarii, the knife wielders in the night. Since Germany was crawling with spies, 
and every one of them had knives or a team ready to kidnap Tyndale and take him to England, Tyndale made a very brave and gutsy move. He left the comparative safety of Hamburg and went to Cologne. Now, Cologne is in Germany, but Cologne feels French. Um, It's hard to explain why, except to tell you that there are certain regions of France and Germany that have belonged to the other team through history. That goes back and forth, all right? It's kind of like the English-Scottish border. My grandmother was a Humphrey. Humphreys were Scottish until the 1800s when the border shifted down, and now Humphreys are, um, I'm sorry, shifted up, and now Humphreys are English. And my my grandmother refused to be known as English. Even though the border had shifted, she had not. I guess that's the way you could put it that way. Uh, She wasn't born in the 1800s, people. It's just uh, memories are long. All right, so it goes to Cologne. Why? Because nobody would look for him in Cologne. Why? Because Cologne was the headquarters of Pope's spies and Inquisition. And so he said, nobody will come there. So he went to Cologne. Intermediaries of the secret society connected Tyndale with the best printer in France, Peter Quintal. They never met. They had a long relationship and never met. They communicated with a vast and complicated network of spies and signs and countersigns. Bits of scripture, you wouldn't write a bunch and send it. Bits of scripture would go with this man, this man, this man, this woman, this merchant, this poor child. And then they would go all over Europe and then come back and reassemble at Peter Quintal's print shop. Very much like the internet does today. I don't know if you're aware of this. I won't go into you know, mind-numbing detail. But if you send an email, if I send an, an email to, to my friend Trace here, uh, that doesn't go as a packet and then land in his computer. Those little bits fly all over the world, and then they're reassembled at his computer. That's the way that goes. And I always found it fascinating. This same concept was the way he got scripture to Peter Quintal. But then, Disaster. After he got the book of Matthew ready, a Roman Catholic bounty hunter named Cochleus held a dinner for the printers of the city and was able to bribe and threaten enough of them that he found out Quintal was printing some English things, something written by an Englishman that is skilled in languages. And Cochleus began to think, have I found him? He figured out what was going on. He alerted the city authorities the authorities sent Cochleus at the head of an armed military squad to confiscate and burn the manuscript immediately, and they did. The first Gospel of Matthew in English language was burned before it could be printed. Tyndale and his friend William Roy uh, got out just, just ahead of them, only minutes ahead of them. They made it to the Rhine River and crossed into Worms, same place where Martin Luther made that statement. And there they met the son, God again, the son of Gutenberg's old printing partner, Peter Schoffer. He said, I'll print your scriptures for you, and he did. At Christmas, 1525, the book of Matthew in English, for the first time, was available. Think about that, 1525. 1,500 years after Jesus was the first time the people in Northern Europe could read 
Matthew in their own language for themselves. German members of the secret society included merchant seamen who began the risky business of smuggling these back and forth into England in early 1526. The bounty hunter Cochleus knew this was going to happen, so he got ships out there looking for them to intercept them. He warned Henry VIII that this was going to come, so you've got to put people in every port, and he did. You've got to put people on every road, and he did. And you've got to track down, intercept, and destroy any scriptures you find. Think of that as a political slash religious rule. You find scriptures, burn them. The problem is this. Britain's an island. You can't guard it all. It's an island. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, the governor of New York was saying, it had a bunch of weapons laid out on a table. And he said, these weapons confiscated, I forget the exact number, but it's like 75% came from out of state. Well, yeah, because your laws are strict. Theirs aren't, and you can't protect every border. You know, people move stuff, good stuff and bad stuff, uh, across borders. Well, by October 1526, enough scriptures had entered England, just 10 months after they'd been printed, that the Catholic Church went on red alert. Top church authorities coordinated we will all preach sermons against owning scripture on this day. And some of them, like Bishop Tunstall in London, publicly burned scriptures in English as part of the worship service. Get your head around that one for a while. They claimed that they were burning them because these contain errors, but the truth was they burned them because they revealed the church's errors. Well, within a few years, it was estimated that 100,000 copies of Scripture were in England. Tyndale was constantly working, translating and retranslating the New Testament. There is no Tyndale translation. The reason is he never finished revising it. Because as soon as he'd do it, he'd go back and say, I need to sharpen that word. I need to make that word clearer. And he would do it again. So there's not like a King James Version, a Tyndale Version. He just kept retranslating, kept working on them. The secret society took scriptures to be printed and smuggled to outwit the Bishop of London, same guy that he thought was going to help him once upon a time, led the charge to find him and kill him. One hunter that was coming to find Tyndale was the Bishop of London. And so he grabbed, I'm sorry, he was the head of the hunters, one of the most powerful hunters he had was a wealthy and powerful merchant. You need to remember, back in those days, merchants were sometimes more powerful than governments. You probably have never studied the East India Company, but the East India Company owned Europe. It told kings and governments what to do, and there were other companies like this. Well, this guy was one of those super powerful guys named Augustine Packington. He was charged, you find Tyndale, you find his men, once and for all, whatever it costs. This is on the official record of the Catholic Church. Whatever it costs to track him down and kill him, we will pay. So Packington tracked Tyndale down in Germany. He arranged a meeting with him. Tyndale was exhausted. 
desperately poor. He was heavily in debt because you couldn't sell these things. It's too dangerous. And he had to buy his paper, his ink, buy the printer's time. He had not enough money to do anymore. He couldn't buy any more paper or ink. He didn't have enough money to eat, and he was wasting away. Packington told him, I'm not here to kill you. I got a solution for your problem. Tyndale said, what? He said, I've got a buyer for every book you can print. Who would that be? The Bishop of London. Whoa, whoa, Tyndale was shocked, and he said, quote, if the Bishop of London wants them, it's only to burn them. Packington said, that's true. But I will charge the bishop such a dear price for each book that I can return a hefty portion of that price to you personally. You get what's going on? They're getting double-crossed by Packington, saying, no, he'll buy them all. He's got the treasury of the church behind him. But then I'm going to bring back the profit and give it to you. We're going to be working together. That way Tyndale could get out of debt. That way he could pay for many, many more Bibles to be printed and smuggled into England. And the bishop that hated him paid the bill. How cool is that? Every now and then you just want to go, yay, God. There's a man you may have heard of in history, Sir Thomas More. He was a huge enemy of anybody who would have the scripture printed in their own language, whether German or English. And he warned the bishop. He said, I've got the feeling you're being taken advantage of here. I got the feeling something's going on. But the bishop refused to believe him. Years later, and we're about to end the, the class, years later, they found a suspected heretic, perhaps a member of the secret society. They brought him into custody, beat him, tortured him, and put him on trial. The judge asked him, how does Tyndale and his friends in Europe, how do they survive? How can they print so many expensive books? The heretic's name was Constantine. And he replied, he can do this because he has a very wealthy benefactor. The judge threatened torture to get Constantine to reveal the name. It was widely assumed it was somebody in Henry, King Henry's court or somebody high up in the church. But Constantine laughed and said, his benefactor is the Bishop of London. He hath holpen us. That's the way of saying he has helped us. For he has bestowed among us a great deal of money upon New Testaments to burn them. And that has been our chief succor and comfort. Boom. Well, we need to end it here because in two weeks' time, we're going to see what happened to Tyndale Coverdale, and the others that brought us to the King James Version of the Bible. And we're going to take a look at that too.